Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. It's in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. The Bible says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, How can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, His Action Should Cause Our Reaction. Look at somebody and say, reaction. Pray with me, God. Thank you for this time together, Lord. I thank you for your word, and I pray that you'd be our teacher by your spirit today, God. I pray that you would give us a supernatural ability to concentrate on your word for these next few moments, God, and teach us what you would have us to know. God, I thank you for what you're doing in the earth, and I pray that you'd be glorified in everything that we do here. Lord, I pray for our nursery, for our children's church, the workers and the volunteers who are serving, God. I pray that you would use them today for your glory and teach us what you want us to know in Jesus' name. Amen. Every time you come to receive the word of the Lord, you ought to have a belief system that says, God wants to speak to me. Amen? We're going to have to get a longer row for you, Coach Green. You're going to fill up a whole row. Uh, we, we might have to add a couple chairs. Amen? See, we'll, 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 we'll call that the, the green row. You, you bring 37 people with you, you can have your own row too. But when you come to church, you ought to believe that God is able to speak to you. A lot of people just want to get through church. A lot of people just want to go through the motions because they were made to come to church. But a lot of people like coming to church just because they get to see their friends. And that's cool, too. And that's why we need to work on our friendships and our relationships. Because I have found out in over 30 years of following God, sometimes your friends will bring you when your faith is failing. Sometimes you might not even be where you know you should be in Christ, but you know that I still want to go to church because I want to see some of my friends. And it's in that openness that you allow God to speak to you. So I hope that you'll allow God and believe that God has something to say this morning. I told you our theme for 2018 is love requires action. There is too much talk. I've been saying this for a long time, and even though I don't listen to a lot of music, period, really. The only music I listen to personally is praise and worship music because that's what I enjoy the most. Not because I believe that you, you got to listen to the same genre of music I do, but I think you're wasting your time if you're listening to music that doesn't honor the Lord. You only have so many hours in a day. If, if you're going to read a book, read a book that honors God. If you're going to uh, watch TV, watch some TV that honors God. I understand every now and then you just want to sit and stare at a wall. But as, as I listen to music, sometimes I get some stuff stuck in my head that's not a Christian song. And a long time ago, when we started this church, I had some song in my mind for some reason. I think it's because too many Christians talk and don't do anything. And there's a, there's a 
non-Christian song, and it says, let's get on down to the main attraction. That's a little less talk and a lot more what? Y'all should be ashamed of yourself and repent. The Bible says that God promises to bring judgment on those who fail to draw a distinction between the holy and the unholy. But there are some proof texts in that little phrase that there's a difference between talk and action. I don't get my theology from human beings. I get my theology from the Word of God. But every now and then I hear people say stuff that makes a lot of sense. One of the most dynamic running backs in the last decade in football is a highly troubled young man named Marshawn Lynch. He's a beast. And I don't say that derogatorily. That's, that's the, that he claimed that he's a beast and he goes in to beast mode. But because he got into some stuff and some reporters were asking him uh, a bunch of questions he didn't want to answer, but their job, they have to answer questions, he started giving the same answers every time they put a mic in his face. They could say anything. Uh, what would you think about the weather today? I'm about that action, boss. Uh, well, on third down and 17, when they threw the ball and you stayed in the block, uh, 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 and, and you missed that blocking assignment on the, on the blitzing line, I'm about that action, boss. All he would say is, I'm about that action. But how cool would it be if some Christians in the world started to be about that action, boss? Talk is cheap, but it takes money to ride the bus. Talk is cheap, but it, 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 it takes money to butter the bread. You have to have a proof text to some of that squawking that is being done. Your, your, your talk should back up what you say you believe, and that's why we're focusing a lot this year on the action that love requires. I believe that probably the most quoted verse in all the Bible is John 3.16. And it's a great verse, and many people know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's awesome. That's the heart of the Bible, that God loved the world enough to give his son for us so that we could have everlasting life in heaven, John 3.16. Well, there's another John 3.16 in the back of the Bible. In 1 John 3.16, listen to what that verse says. I read it in our opening text. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers. We know what real love is. If you want to understand what God's view, God's concept, God's definition of love is, here it is. It's that Jesus gave up his life for us. So love is seen in action. Love is seen in giving. Love is seen in sacrifice. In a different translation, in this translation it says, we know, say no. In an older translation, in 1 John 3, 16, it says, hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So the way that we know God's love and the way that we perceive or understand God's love is through his action on the cross. The love of God is known best through understanding the cross. It's understood and it's known best through seeing what he did. It's about action and reaction. 
I told you the title of the message is His Action Should Cause Our Reaction. His action, put that verse back on the screen for me, Deacon. His action was laying down his life for us. That's his action. He proved his love toward us because he laid down his life for us. Our reaction is seen on the other side of the colon. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Because he died for us, we ought to die for each other. Now, I'm not talking about David Koresh, Jim Jones, crazy cult kind of stuff. I'm not talking about Kool-Aid drinking, let's just all go out in a big bang. Much of the Bible is literal. Much of the Bible is also metaphorical. Some things are figurative in speech. Jesus laid down his life for us literally. He died a real death. He died a physical death so that we can have a spiritual life. He is asking us to lay down our lives for each other. The question is, do you love anybody enough to do something for them that would cost you anything? See, most of what we do as human beings is done out of selfish greed. Most of what we do is done out of hope for gain. We hope to get something back for what we do. We, most people, and that's why I don't trust over-complimenters. You say a lot of compliments, I, I, you get my intention, you, you sound salesy to me with that. Because what I've seen in life is most people that are complimenting are fishing for what? A compliment themselves. But some people are just being honest. Sometimes an action ought to cause a reaction, and that's a good thing. Certainly on God's part, he performed an action. His love was proven to us on the cross. In Romans 5, 8, the Bible says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is so foundational to the gospel. Each one of us really needs to understand this verse in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God showed, a different translation says, proved. God showed or proved his Love for us by sending Christ to die for us, look when, while we were still sinners. God did not wait until you got perfect to start loving you because none of us are perfect. God's not waiting on you to get your, all, all your stuff in one bag to start loving you or being willing to use you. Imagine if God only used perfect preachers, there'd be nobody to preach. If God only used perfect worship leaders, there'd be nobody to lead worship. If God only used perfect deacons, there'd be nobody to deacon. If God only used perfect ushers, there'd be nobody to ush. If God only used perfect people to take up the money, all churches would have no electricity. Because there's no perfect people. And the good news is God is not waiting on us to become perfect to do what he did for us. He's already done his thing. I hear so many people saying, Pastor Scott, I'm wondering when God's going to come through for me. When is God going to step up and come through for me? I, and my answer is always the same. He stepped up on Calvary. He stepped up. He already did the big thing he's going to do for you. He died for you so that you could be saved. He died for you so you don't have to go to hell forever. And that's why I've been telling people for 30 years, if, he, if you believe that he loved you enough to die for you, you ought to love him enough to live for him. Amen. Amen. Action and reaction. This is what 
the scriptures teaching most people wait to see if you deserve their love I thank God that we don't have to deserve his love he desires to love us just think about if a parent made their child from birth deserve their love see here's the reality first time you told them don't pee in them pull-ups again and they do it one more, kick him out. He ain't no more my son. I can't have this peapot baby child here. I told you, peeing in my house. Get out. I don't love you no more. That's not how a father loves a child. Now, there, as humans, we have our limits. Amen? Now, once they start stealing from you and tearing up stuff in your house, send them on down the road. But at, when they're young and lovely, we let a lot of stuff go. Why? Because the parent wants to love the child. The parent wants to believe the best in the child. Some of y'all take that to a whole different level. Uh, so, so I see these parents come on television. Their 17-year-old child, you know, killed the whole street up. And they're like, but he's such a sweet boy. No, you remember when he was three years old and you held him. He's the devil on foot. You, you just still want to love him. We need to understand, if you don't understand anything else about Christianity, about the religion of the Lord Jesus Christ, you, understand, you need to understand, God doesn't love you because of anything you've done. He loves you because he wants to. You can't violate it. You can't separate it. You can't do anything to make him stop loving you, and you can't do anything to deserve his love. But you can't have a reaction to his love. You would be less than logical in your mind if someone was always kind, decent, and loving for you for that not to want to cause a reaction on your part. If your house was on fire and someone you loved was sleeping inside the house and you were passed out in the front yard safe and that person ran in that house and got their self-hurt saving one of your children or one of your pets or your goldfish, that action ought to cause you to say, man, you did something for me. I owe you forever. You, you, you saved somebody for me. I'll love you forever. Yet as Christians, we say that we believe that God sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. Yet how quick do we get over desiring to love him back? We believe in his action, but do we show forth a reaction? This is the great thing about new Christians. New Christians have not lost that reaction yet. This is what happens when anybody gets saved. If you ever get saved for real, and most people haven't, the Bible says that the road to heaven is narrow and few there be that find it. The road to hell is wide, and that's where most people are. But if you ever find real salvation, this is what's going to happen in your life. You're going to feel like the weight of the world has been lifted off you. You're going to feel like a brand new person. That's why it's called being born again, coming to life spiritually. And you are going to have to realize to get saved that Jesus paid your price when you couldn't pay it. That he paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we could not pay. 
And because of that, you want to love him. You want to be in church all the time. Giving is not a problem. When the bucket comes, you're like, God, help me keep this job. I'm going to give some of my check. God, bless me with a, with a raise. I'm going to give some of my. And, and you just have that reactionary. Just your, your first thought is, I love him so much, I want to show it. He loves me. I want to love him back. But as that young Christian begins to get around church people, and there's a difference between Christians and church people, Everybody in this room right now today, you have made yourself a church person because you're in church. might not be your normal thing, but you're a church person today. But everybody in the room is not a Christian. See, when that young Christian starts getting around church people, then they start seeing church people say, well, you know, it don't take all that. You don't always have to be here every time the door is open. You don't always have to be the loudest hallelujah in the room. Why are you serving all them different ministries anyway? Let some, and they start to dumb down the new Christian. They start to water down the fire on the new Christian. Now, let me ask you all this. Why would a room full of church people want to water down the fire on a brand new Christian? Because they ain't doing it. And that fire is making you look bad. I had a job, many people call the best job ever, that somebody could aspire to. Uh, I thought I wanted it until I got it, and then I realized I hated it. I worked for the United States Postal Service downtown at the General Mail Center on Kings Road before I went into the Army. And I just couldn't believe it. It was the, the non-workingest people I'd ever seen in my life. Yeah, I was a young man. It was my first experience with the union. Now I'm going in there, and I'm making strong money. I'm making good money for a young man. I was 20 years old making real bucks with people who had families and stuff. I was making grown man money, and so I'm in there just grinding. And every day somebody tell me, boy, you need to slow it down. This man ain't going nowhere. Like, okay, 90-day wonder. You passed your, you, uh, and in their mind, once you get past 90 days, you just go sit in third stall. Anybody know a third? If you ever had a union job, you know what's in the third stall. There's a board across the toilet seat so you can just sit on the toilet through your whole eight-hour shift without catching hemorrhoids. And, and, and second and third stall at the GMC had boards across them, and people just be in there sleeping. And if the supervisor would come by our section more than once in a day, some of y'all are union, y'all know what I'm talking about. If the supervisor would come by our section more than one time a shift, somebody let him know. That's twice I've seen you today. Don't let me see you again. I'm going to call the shop steward. I'm going to file a grievance on you. You're harassing our people over here. We know our job. Well, our job was to be in third stall and realize that mail ain't going nowhere. Now, why did all these 50 and 60-year-old men want to slow down? Oh, I, lo I loved working on, working on the 110 belt because the 110 belt was magazines. And we'd stand, and they would have these big containers all around us. And you pick up this stack of Sports Illustrated. It'd be wrapped in a band. And, you know, being young and aggressive, uh, we, we had one desire. You want to shot put that whole stack. And it'd be the Tampa Bend, it'd be Tallahassee, it'd be all these different places. You want to shot put it against the back of that container so hard all the magazines explode and drop down into the bottom. Of the, and I was just in there, I was pushing out mail, pushing out mail. And they all wanted me to slow down because they felt like I was making them look bad. The reality was I wasn't making them look bad. 
they were making themselves look bad because they didn't want to work. They were just there to ride the clock. And this is what happens when young Christians fall in love with the Lord. They want to be at church all the time. They want to read their Bible. They want to invite friends to come to church. They want to get involved in ministry. They want to listen to Christian music. They want to serve God. And then they get around church people, and they're like, slow that down. It's going to be all right. You're going to catch up to the rest of us. No, you're trying to drag them back. Don't throw fire on a young Christian's excitement. That's their reaction. Some of y'all had had fire in your belly for a long time for God, and you need to remember. See, here's the difference between people who stay in love with God and people who fall in and out. Some people never forget and never get over what God did for them. I have never forgotten where I was on July 15, 1981 at 345 in the morning. I was on my knees beside my bed in my mother's house on 6956 Malden Lane, right off Townsend Avenue off Blanding Boulevard on the west side of Jacksonville, bending my knees, asking God to forgive me my sins and save me. And God saved me that day, and I never forgot it, and I never got over it. And that's why I'm still serving God almost 40 years later. Some people walk an aisle on Sunday morning. You don't see them come back to church on Sunday night. Walk out on Sunday morning, oh, God, oh, Jesus, you saved me, I'm sorry. And that's it. Three months go by. You couldn't find them with a search warrant. Tax man can't find them. They got Capone. But people, they, they go through that. They, if you have gotten over your salvation, I wonder if it was ever real to begin with. If you don't remember, your salvation experience, I don't believe it was real to begin with. Everybody doesn't have my same testimony. I'm a fact, statistics, information guy. I have a strong memory for, for things, and I had it written down. So it was easy for me to reference it. Plus, I wasn't going to church. I wasn't in church. I was living deep in the world. And so it was a life change. I got saved. I went to church for over 20 days in a row. It was, it was a culture shock for me and everyone that knew me. Everybody might not remember exactly what day of the month it was. Everybody not, might not remember what day of the week it was. But you ought to remember something about it. I say it like this. If I walk down off this stage right now and I just slap Chris Wyatt right across his head. He's former, you know. JSO, he might have two or three guns on him. You never know. Y'all know. No telling how that might go. He might forgive my stupidity. He might rise up and shoot me. His wife might stab me with a hairpin. I don't know how it would go. Might get offended, leave the church, and never come back. 30 years from now, he might not remember that it was January 21st at 11.27 a.m. He might not remember that I had a neck brace on. He might not remember my name or the name of this church, but he would still be able to tell people, that white dude put that microphone and he slapped me in my face. Now, why would he remember it? Because it happened to him. It was real and it was personal. And if it happened to you, 
It's got to be real, and it's got to be personal. If salvation happened to you, you ought to remember something about it. You ought to remember some kind of way, whether it was the summer or the winter, what church you were going to at the time, where you were living, what state you were living in. There ought to be some recollection of some life-changing experience. Listen, I walk down and slap you, it's going to change your life. If God say, saves you, some, some of y'all are like, it'll change your life. Oh, don't try me. 215-pound grown man. And I got security in here. I feel them all the time. They just it change his life. It changed your life. And you'd never forget it because it would be so out of the norm, it would shock you. Salvation is supernatural. It shocks you into a reality. This has changed me. I had an experience, an encounter that is real and if you are able to forget that or get over it, I don't believe it's real for you. People who just walking out one day and three months later, they've all just settled back, living the way they used to live, taking back their old lifestyle, something is wrong with that. God did not wait on us to get better to send Jesus to die for us, and God is not waiting on you to get perfect, but God is looking for a reaction. The action that he put forth demands a reaction. His action was to prove his love for us by sending Christ to the cross. Our reaction is because he died for us, we die for him. Because he lives for us, we live for him. He's not asking us to die a physical death. I've had, uh, when I first got saved, I was in this church, and the preacher was all the time wanting, how many of y'all die for Jesus? I take a, and he was always talking about how he'd take a bullet for the Lord. And I got tired of hearing that. And I, I finally realized, you know, it'd be easier to die for the Lord than to live for the Lord. You take a bullet, that's, you know, that's three minutes and done. Most, I mean, it gets you in the right spot. Now, you may lay there for an hour and a half, bleed out slow. You may go to the hospital and bleed out long. But eventually, that's going to end. It's way easier to die for the Lord. If I just said, everybody stands up right now, we're going to shoot you off dead and, and, and you're going to go straight to heaven, that's really a pretty good trade-off if you really believe that there's a heaven waiting on you. It's easy to die. It's like some of y'all in the room, you'd die for your children. Well, it don't take long to die for somebody. Some of you would die for the person you love. It don't take long to die for somebody, but it takes a lifetime to live for somebody. He died for us. He wants us to die to our own hopes, our own goals, our own agendas, and come alive to what he has for us. In Ephesians 5, 2, the Bible says that we should live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let's look at this verse. Pay attention to the punctuation. Take it in bite-sized pieces so you can digest it, get it on the inside. He's talking to Christians, and the command is to live a life filled with love, comma. That's cause for pause. Live a life filled with love. It doesn't matter what you can say about you. If your life is not full of love, then you're not following Christ's example. Being in church every time the doors are open but being mean don't make you a Christian. Praying in tongues until your gums bleed and being mean don't make you a Christian. 
being the, the longest standing founding member in a church and giving all the money and sitting on every ministry team in the church but being hateful, bigoted, and racist don't make you a Christian. Living a life filled with love is how you follow the example of Christ. We call ourselves Christians. That's really a noble title. See, we're not royals. We're not, uh, most of us, some of y'all, you know, claiming king and queen. I want to know what land you're ruling and how I can, get, how I can, you know, dub me a prince and give me some of them royal lands and some of the money that goes with it. If you call yourself a king or a queen and you got nothing to show for it, you're ruling in poverty. That's not much of rule. But most of us don't come from a silver spoon in our mouth. Most of us don't, don't come from nobility backgrounds. But when we were born into the family of God, we attached ourselves to the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the most high and noble God and the only true God that there is. So to call yourself a Christian, you're really saying something right now. That, that's like somebody... Calling, calling themselves uh, a, a Celtic fan or a Laker fan. Well, you stepped up into the big time then because that's the two most dominant franchises in basketball history. Now, if you call yourself a, a Timberwolves fan, you know, you're on the come up, so you're getting there. But when you call yourself, when you go from calling yourself, I, I was just Scott Becker. That's all I had going for me. But then I became Scott Becker, a child of the true and living God. I became a Christian uh, on July 15, 1981. And to call yourself a Christian is a, a high title. It's a noble title, but Christian means like Christ. A Christian, by definition, is someone who imitates the life of Christ, has accepted the doctrines, the teaching, and the lifestyle of Jesus as their own. So the Bible commands that we live a life filled with love because that's the example of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on to explain this example even further. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. When you're reading, I want you to learn how to read with comprehension, especially when you read the Bible. He loved us and. That word and signifies what? That there's more. Say more. That word and signifies that there's more. He loved us and. Not only, he didn't stop by loving us because that could just be lip service. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us and as a pleasing aroma to God. So the only way to fulfill the command of Scripture and follow the example of Christ is to live a life filled with love and to offer yourself as a sacrifice. The Bible tells us that we should be a living sacrifice to God that we should constantly be giving ourselves to God, offering ourselves to God all the time. I'd love to meet Christians who live like this. I'd love to meet Christians who love God more than they love themselves. I'd love to meet Christians who loved God more than they were concerned with their own pride and their own agenda. I said it's about action. And reaction. I said action was performed. And because that action was performed, a reaction is expected. Look, look at our text verse again, 1 John 3, 16. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. This is how you know biblically what real life is. Now, if you realize one of these verses says that God gave himself for us, 
And this verse says that Jesus gave his life for us. So did Jesus give his life on the cross for us, or did God give his life on the cross for us? Yes, both. Jesus and God are the same in essence. And Jesus is the physical, visible image of the invisible God. And this is how we know what real love is because of sacrifice. Love requires action, an action that is sacrificial. Real love involves death. You want to know how a book, a, a love story book, is a good love story book? Tragedy. Every real love story is about tragedy. Every real love story is about somebody dying. I never realized that until after my wife died. After my wife died, left me with a two-year-old and a four-year-old, it seems like every single movie we've seen since then was about a mother who died. From Finding Nemo all the way up to... Guardians of the Galaxy. The movie that's in, in my DVD player right now in the Lincoln, and the, one of the first movies my kids saw after their mother died, from Finding Nemo, the mom died. Guardians of the Galaxy, Star-Lord's mom died. And, and I used to think, man, this is torturous. So for years, every time we go to a movie, me and my kids go to a movie every week. It's one of the things we just love to do because uh, of the snacks, really. I mean, it ain't nothing like an $8, $8 bag of uh, Skittles or Twizzlers or Snickers. But ain't nothing like a $14 Coke. So we would sit there. I know some of y'all sneaking snacks in. I would, I would narc on you. I would tell. Go ahead and let me see you start pulling stuff out. I will let the usher know. Uh, I don't think that Sam's Check Cola for four cents is authorized in his $9 Coke line. But for years, we would sit in the movie theater, and I'd start feeling eyes coming on me like this. And my kids would be looking down the road, wanting to know, is Dad crying yet? And I'd be looking at them to see if they were crying yet. And I would wonder, is this just to torture me and my children? But then I realized everybody who ever loved hard had some kind of tragedy. And so they write these stories and they write these books, they write these movies about tragedy because real love is almost always seen through sacrifice and through death. The real love that God has is most clearly seen, perceived, understood through the action that he performed on the cross of Calvary. He gave up his life for us. So, that word can also be translated because the action, here's the reaction, because of the action, we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, some people can truly say that. I don't have any doubt in my mind that, that, that many people in this room, if, if Deacon West knows that I would give up my life for him. He'd give up his life for me. We've been together for uh, over a decade. Children spend the night in each other's homes, love each other, hang out, uh, care about each other, travel the world together. And there's that type of relationship there. 
And many of you have people in your life that you would really give your life up for. But would you give it up for all your brothers and sisters in Christ? I can tell you, I'm not all the way there yet. Some of y'all be on your own. I ain't here to save you. That's Jesus' job. But I am here to be obedient to the Bible. And I need to have the proper reaction because I truly do believe that Jesus gave up his life for me. And because of that, I ought to give up my life for each and every person who calls themselves a Christian. It's hard because as human beings, we're full of pride. As human beings, we want what we want. As human beings, we want to live that Adam's family story. We want to do what we want to do, say what we want to say, dance how we want to dance, play how we want to play. We don't want somebody else telling us what to do. We don't want to share the spotlight sometimes with other people. You say, well, I always take the back seat. I always take the less and give everybody else the best. That's how life ought to be. If you're all the way there, you stay there and let the rest of us catch up. But for everybody else in the room, we need to understand that the reaction on our part needs to get better. Say better. If all you're doing is living for yourself and your little crew, if it's just us four and no more, you have a shallow existence. It is only as you take on a greater purpose in life that you find true meaning in life. It's only when you give sacrifice of you and yours to something bigger than you, something that has lived before you and will live after you, will you find greater purpose in life. And our purpose is to recognize that Jesus gave up his life for us, and we ought to react to that properly by being willing to sacrifice for our brothers and sisters in Christ. 1 John 4, 11, the Bible says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. If you believe God loved you and you struggle loving other people, then you don't understand how much God loved you. I can remember one time when I first got saved, my parents had recently got divorced, or my mother divorced my stepfather. He was very abusive. Caused a lot of problems in our family. Uh, I grew up in a very violent home, stuff being broken all the time, people bleeding all the time, punched in the face, choked out. Uh, it, was, it was crazy. It was, it was just beyond description. And finally, it got so off the chain that he left and didn't come back. And that was, <laughs> that was great for us. But. He started coming back. He got court-ordered visitation with my, with my little brother um, one Saturday a month. And he would come by and he would pick up my little brother. And, you know, my mom, you know, she's from that old school. She, when she gets a feud going with you, it's on. And so he was never getting back in her house. And uh, she wasn't into this whole loving each other thing because she wasn't a Christian yet. And he started coming over. And he would honk the horn, and she would send my little brother out. My little brother, was, he was like seven. And he'd go out and go spend the day with his dad. And I had gotten saved during that time frame, and I started going out there, walking my little brother out there to see my stepfather and talk to him. And I came in the house one day, and my mom was like, how can you go out there and be nice to him? 
Why are you going out there cheesing up to that man after all he put us through? And I said, Mom, I've come to a realization in my life that if God can forgive me for what I cost him through the life of his son on the cross, I can forgive that man and every other man who ever done me wrong. I'm not going to hold unforgiveness and lose my soul because I don't know how to love somebody else. When you realize how much God has forgiven you for, you'll start being, finding it easier to love other people. But until you get set free of you-ism, see, some of y'all are cursed with me-ism. It's just all about me. And I've been telling you for years, you got you to gotta stop letting it be about me and let it become about he. When it becomes about he and less about me, life changes and takes on a better purpose. But it causes action. And it creates a reaction. If you believe God loves you that much, surely, not maybe, but surely, we ought to love each other. It's hard to even get Christians to love each other. You, you, we could have a full-blown, wide-open melee in this joint right now. We could, we could just go into the, we could go into a wide-open, just people be hating each other argument over the dumbest stuff. I, 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 I could throw a bunch of y'all sideways. Co Coach Green and I talk about this often. I, I get a bunch of people sideways right now by letting them know that Kobe is better than LeBron. Ain't it up? Who you want shooting in the fourth quarter? That's the only way it can happen. All right? But there are people in this room that would throw the mic down, kick rocks in my face, call me ignorant. I ain't going back there. White dude don't know who the better ball player is. I ain't going back. Oh, well, that's love. You're not, you're not keyed up that way? You, 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 don't, have, you don't have a six-foot-six um, fat head out right outside your bedroom wall of Kobe Bryant like I got up mine, standing next to him being dwarfed over by a six-foot-eight Paul Pierce? Okay, let me, let me take you to a different level. If I said all the Republicans in the room sit on one side and all the Democrats sit on the other side, and let's see who really to blame for the government shutdown, we'd be in a, in a full-on fight right here. Okay? If I said, oh, well, you don't wind up po politically? If I had all of the racist white people sit on one side and all of the militant black folks sit on the other side, Pastor, do you believe we got them like that in here? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just because you're in church don't make you a Christian. One of the greatest liberators for me as a Christian was when I fully embraced the reality that it would be impossible for Jesus Christ to be pale-skinned, blonde-haired, and blue-eyed. Impossible. People that live in the Middle East don't look like that. Some of y'all are like, he sure don't. <laughs> Bronze-skinned brother. No, Bronze-skinned Hebrew. We the real Hebrews out Africa. No, you're not. You're the Africans out Africa. The Hebrews come from Israel. But here's the crazy thing. White people want to believe that God looks like them. So they can put this picture of the Last Supper with Jesus and these 12 white dudes sitting at a table. Because 
We're the best, and God's got to look like us. Black people got, a say, got the same picture in their house on the wall, but it's a black Jesus and 12 black dudes sitting next to him. Because we're the best, and he's got to look like us. When I realized that God is better than me, and he doesn't look, have to look like me for me to worship him, I was liberated. People try to bring God down to their level so they can feel like they've got a connection. My connection to God is not based on skin color or his thinking like me thinking. It's based on his action and my reaction. Some of y'all have never come to accept his action, and you certainly haven't gotten to the reaction part. But the scripture is clear. We ought to love each other. We ought to talk a lot about biblical understanding at Abundant Life, talk a lot about how to interpret Scripture, principles of as you read to notice things. When someone says you ought to do something, what are they implying? You should, but you probably what? You should, but you might not. You should, the action is expected, the reaction is expected, but it's not always performed. So you have to determine in your mind, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins so you could go to heaven? Okay? If you do, you believe in the action. Do you believe that you're responsible for the reaction because the reaction is not just to love God? I've met so many biblically, biblically illiterate people who said, I just serve God. I don't have time for no man in my life. I don't need a pastor. Well, the same God you claim to believe in said that you need a pastor. That's the mic check because that's what the Scripture says. I, I just serve God. I don't believe in giving my money to a church. Well, the same Scripture that you say you believe God from tells you on the first day of the week to bring 10% of all your increase and give it to the church. I just, I'm, just, I'm just about God. I ain't about all this people and all this church stuff. No, you are about you. You want it your way. You want Christianity. You want God to be your skin color. You want God to be your political. Some of y'all think God's a Republican. <laughs> Equally as bad, some of y'all think God's a Democrat. Equally as bad, some of y'all think God is an independent. Now, some of you have read the Bible. When the Lord appeared in the Old Testament, theologically that's called a theophany, an appearance of God, theo being God. And when the theophany happened in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord appeared, which was God in, in, in a visible form, with a sword drawn. And the man of God said, are you for us or are you against us? Anybody remember what was said? I ain't for you and I ain't against you. I'm on God's side. Hmm. Are you willing to serve a God who could say that to you? What if God disagrees with your politics? He don't disagree with mine. He disagrees with yours. That's because you're ignorant and prideful. And selfish. See, I know that there's plenty of stuff about me that God can disagree with. But see, I'm in my process of changing. 
Some people are in their process of being stuffed. It's about a reaction that needs to take place. I'm going to show you two things, and then we're going to wrap it up early today. If you study the Bible, you're going to find out that Jesus came to give us a New Testament revelation of the God who had already been exposed in the Old Testament. Jesus came to be a fuller revelation of who God is. And when Jesus came, primarily he talked about the kingdom of God and what his Father says. Constantly, he would say things like, I don't speak of my own things, I only speak what the Father gives me. I don't come to testify of myself, I come to bear witness of the Father who is in heaven. So you see in the Bible that it's about God and Jesus' revelation of who God is. And inside these truths, there's the commandment that God gave, many, and there's the commandment that Jesus gave, almost singular, with some exceptions. But let me give you God's commandment, 1 John 3.23. And this is his commandment. That H should be capitalized to help our understanding. You see a capital H, it indicates deity. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son. Do you get us talking about the father now? This is God's commandment. And this is the father's commandments. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. So all these he's in here are of God the father. This is God's commandment. What is God's commandment that you must believe in his son, Jesus Christ? That's the commandment of God, that you must believe. In, well, I don't believe that you, the only way you can get to heaven is by Jesus. A lot of people think there's more than one way to get to heaven. Oprah Winfrey, most influential woman in the world. Oprah Winfrey, if you Google Oprah says Jesus is not the only way, she does an excellent speech about, and she says out of her mouth on television, Jesus couldn't possibly be the only way. That's just ignorant. There are many ways and revelations of God and how to get to God. No, that's her ignorance on display because Jesus said he's the only way to get to God. And the Bible tells us that God's commandment, not suggestion, God's commandment is that we must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. If you don't have a special belief system that applies to Jesus and no one else, it's not talking about a head knowledge. See, there's different ways to believe. I believe George Washington was the first president of the United States, but I would not bet anything on it, especially since I found out just a few years ago that this country started in 1776, and George Washington was not even installed as the first president until 1789. They had another president for 13 years. But they tell us that George Washington was the first president of the United States, and we just believe it. Okay, so I believe George, and he, first president of the United States, but not the first president of the Continental Congress, so they split hairs on that. But I believe George Washington, I believe Abraham Lincoln was the 16th president of the United States. I don't know they didn't sneak some dude in there and expunge his name from the record books. I believe it in my head. I wouldn't bet my life on it. See, I believe some things with a casual belief system, and then I believe some things all in. And this isn't asking for a casual belief in Jesus Christ. This is asking for all-in belief in Jesus Christ. God's commandment is that we must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And, so that means there's more, and we must love one another as he commanded us. So, two things. 
believing in his son Jesus, and it's loving people. That's God's commandment. Now, Jesus has his own commandment in John 13, 34. After spending the majority of his earthly ministry saying, I only say what the Father says, and talking about my Father, our Father in heaven, my Father's kingdom, the kingdom of God. He talked all about God's commandments, but in this part of St. John's gospel, in chapter 13, verse 34, he said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Okay. Now, Jesus is going to give you his commandment. We already saw what God's commandment is, that you believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus' commandment is that you love each other. Just as I have loved you, should you love each other. Now, I love the fact that as believers here at Abundant Life, we are learning how to read with comprehension, and we are paying attention to the punctuation because that's how you understand the written word. Love each other, period. That stands alone. That's a complete thought. There's a period at the end of that, but even beyond the period, sometimes there's further explanation, and we see that here. You can't just say love each other. Oh, I love everybody. When people say, Pascal, I just love everybody, I know they're lying. You don't love everybody. I bet I talk to you long enough, I come up with three or four people, start with me and work my way down to somebody you don't love. But he, he didn't just say just love each other. He gave you the way, just as I have loved you, should you love each other. Jesus' love was a giving love. Jesus' love was a sacrificial love. Jesus' love was to take less so you could have the best. Jesus' love was to put others before himself. Jesus' love was a serving love. Jesus' love was an unconditional love. This is how he commands us to love each other. But even in the church world, even at Abundant Life, where we think that we really are further along than a lot of other churches because most churches in the Jacksonville area are racially divided. And we think, oh, well, look at us. We accept people from all different backgrounds. And we really know how to love each other. Well, that may be true in some areas, but he said we got to love each other the way he loved us. Do you love people unconditionally? Do you love people after they offend you? You know how the majority of churches grow? Over 90% of all church growth is transfer growth. The majority of people in this room right now have been members at another church somewhere in their life. And they used to be at another church, and now they're here. They were saved before they came here, and now they're going to church here. That's okay if that's what God's led you to do. But most people are just moving from church to church. That's not real church growth. That's just sheep shifting. That's just moving from one shed to another shed. Real church growth is when new people that never been saved before come to a church and get saved, and that's where they grow and they stay forever. Why don't people stay in one church forever? Because they got hurt. They got mad. Church hurt. Church hurt's a big word, but it's an oxymoron because the church can't hurt you. Because the church, according to the Scripture, is perfect spotless, without blemish, wrinkle, or stain. The church has no fault. The church, biblically, is the bride of Jesus Christ. Now, if you really think you can love the man without loving his wife, you don't understand man or wife. That's why when I hear people talk bad about church, I realize they don't really love God. Go to some man who really loves his wife and just start dogging, dogging her out. 
hey, I, I'm, I'm cool with you, big hen, but your wife, man, she just, blah, 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 blah. that's going to create a real bad flow. You can't love somebody and be mad at their spouse. You love somebody, you got to love who they love. You got to take the whole thing. And Jesus said the commandment that he has, he told us God's commandment, that we believe in Jesus. Jesus' commandments is that we love each other the same way he loved us. That's without condition, even when we don't deserve it. I've seen it. My kids, man, it's a a miracle when preacher's kids stay in church. People think preacher's kids are all bad kids because preachers don't know how to raise kids. No, preacher's kids turn out to be bad kids because they've seen too many church people in their lifetime. Preacher's kids, this has been the life of my children. Okay, And I'm not mad at it, and I told them, don't blame the church, blame me, because I set this up from the beginning. This has been the life of my kids, just like this week, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in prayer. So 8 o'clock, we pack up and leave, except the preacher. And whoever needs three minutes, I just need three minutes with you, Pastor. When my kids, after I get done preaching, after everybody's leaving, and somebody says, "Uh, Pastor, can I talk to you for five minutes? My kids. Because their whole life has been laying in foyers, sleeping on chairs, waiting on dad to get done talking to the people. And at three minutes, which, you know, went went till 940 one night this week, this past week. And I'm not mad about that because I want to serve the people. And I want to be, and that's that's just part of life. But they've seen thousands of people come and go. Over their lifetime. They were both born into this church. This church outdates both of them. And they've seen people come. And they've seen people come into my home. Come to parties. They've seen me marry people. Bury people's family. Baptize people. Lead people to Christ. People. I love. I just like to testify. I want to give God thanks and glory and praise for our pastor. None finer. Just real, raw, relevant. Just tells the truth like nobody I ever met before. I thank God. Pastor Scott just changed my life. And uh, and as soon as people start saying that, my kids. (laughs) There they go. One more again. And some of that has proven to be true over the course of people's lifetime that have loved me, and other people, and the scripture says, by and by, they got offended, and they left. See, if you get offended and you leave, that's on you. Could you imagine if every time your mother or father offended you, you just hung deuces on them? Done. I'm done. I ain't in this family no more. Well, right down the street and go be part of, you know, your friend's family. Guess what they're going to do? Offend you. And that's how you end up in your 37th church in four years. That's not loving someone. And that's why we set the principle in place ahead of time at Abundant Life. By letting you know that we're all imperfect, including me. And if you're going to love me, you're going to have to love me in spite of me. Because I'm going to get on your nerves. Because I'm going to tell you the truth. And the truth sometimes hurts. And the truth sometimes is like throwing salt in a cut. And you're going to wonder, who is he to tell me when he admits he ain't perfect? I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the mailman because the light bill went up. 
We say we're Christians, but we don't love each other the way Jesus loved us. And he said, this is my commandment. This is his. In, in John 15, 12, last set, three verses we're going to look at. Jesus said, this is my commandment. I'm telling you all what God says. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way I have loved you. Wow. Did Jesus love them when they disagreed with him? Did Jesus love them when they disappointed him? Did Jesus love them when they fell flat on their face and denied him? He loved them without stopping. He loved them in spite of them. He loved them forever. And he never gave up. Verse 13 says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus laid down his life for us. And the bulk of the scriptures we've been looking at today says since he did that, we ought to do that for each other. You don't have to get on a cross and be nailed to a cross and bleed out and die for any human being. That was Jesus' purpose. He fulfilled that on the cross. But you do have to deny yourself. You got to die to your side and accept that person sitting next to you. You got to let go of your way and give room for somebody else's way. You got to learn how to love somebody in spite of your differences. The Bible constantly talks about dying to yourself, laying down your life. In reality, most people stick around until somebody gets on their nerves. Most people are your friend until they do something wrong. I see these social media accounts of these kids. My friends are my life. If you don't believe me, try me. Three months later, Kayla is a whore. And the only reason Jerome's with her because she's easy. You was going to cut somebody over Kayla last month. Now she's a whore? What happened? Well, oh, she hurt your poor little feelings. America is upside down and on its head. Republicans, so thin-skinned. Donald Trump is so thin-skinned, if somebody says his hair looks funny, he'll stay up all night long and give 7,000 tweets to attack them back. Oh, see, a lot of people like that, but now let me talk about you. Mm. I can say something about anything. If I showed you how many emails I get from offended people because their poor little feelings got hurt, you, your eyes would bleed from trying to read all that. Offended people. I've taught my children this, and I want to teach you this. We'll get out of here. A friend of mine worked at the morgue on Normandy Boulevard, Fraser Funeral Home. We grew up together. And he had the weirdest job <laughs> any of us ever had. His job was 11 to 7, Fraser Funeral Home on Normandy Boulevard. He, they had a cot in the back room. He had to sleep in there with all the dead bodies because it's a law. You can't leave them dead folk in there unattended. <laughs> now, it's not because they're going to get up and create trouble amongst themselves. Me and my girlfriend went in there one night. She was all freaked out. I was unsaved. We're walking around. We're looking at all these dead people. 
and she's freaking out in the back. And this dude, before I even knew God, taught me a lesson about life and death. He said, he looked at her and said, what are you scared of? He said, I can slap these people in their face, cuss them out. He said, I can throw, I can throw urine in their face. They're not, they ain't going to sit up and do nothing to you. They are dead. They ain't the people you got to fear. It's the ones outside the door that are living. Because when a person is dead, you can't offend them. If I talk about your race right now, some of y'all love your race more than you love Jesus. So if I talk about your race right now, and I talk, and I, and I, even if I were to use facts and say all true things about your race, some of you love your race more than you love Jesus, white, black, Hispanic, and Asian, and you get all offended. But the Bible said you're supposed to die to yourself. Well, if you're dead, how can you get offended? Dead people don't get offended. Dead people don't have feelings. Well, he hurt my feelings. Well, good for you. We live in a country, they, they've, they, they've dubbed a name for them, snowflakes. Poor little sensitive people always getting their little feelings hurt. Buck up. Life's hard. Take it like a man. And for all you feminazis in the world, take it a step higher and take it like a woman. Now, see, some of y'all, he called feminazi. Wait, you got a problem with me? Do you hear yourself? Love the way Jesus loved. Don't let people get under your skin. I'm preaching to you as much as I'm preaching to me. Listen, most of y'all don't get 200 emails every day. I have over 90,000 emails in my outlook right now. Alex only supposed to hold 28,000 before it crashes. I think that's just the devil trying to keep these people in my outlook, bothering me. Half of them I don't read. Because I know, I read that. that that's going to cause some, that might cause some reaction in me. And I got to die to myself. Why? Because the only way we can love somebody is to love them the way Jesus did. Jesus loved us enough to die for us. Can you die to your emotions for anybody? Or do you always, uh, they going to hear my, I'm, I'm going to have my say. They going to hear what I got to say. Well, ain't you special? And alive. And not dead to yourself. The Bible talks so much about sacrifice. Real love being shown through sacrifice. Dead people don't get offended. And mature people don't get offended. Babies get offended. You know, if you walked over right now. And, 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 and took Deacon West. If Deacon West had a Bible sitting next to him, you walked over and just grabbed that Bible and said, I'm going to need this for a minute. He might look at you like, okay. He's not going to throw himself on the ground and pound his hands into the carpet, squalling and screaming. That's mine, mine, mine. You know who would do that? Them babies over there in the nursery. Go ahead, try to take something from one of them children. And they're going to let you know. Mine, mine, mine. It's like that movie. Mine, mine, mine. That's the, that's the word all immature people live on. Because immature people, babies get offended easily. And there are people, church, man, there's crazy people in church. They're no different than the punks at the park.
hurt their little feelings, and I'll take my ball and go home. Every park's got that dude. Only guy, only guy, only guy the whole park. Everybody's sitting around waiting on somebody to show up with a basketball. Dude shows up with a basketball. If, if he gets one call against him, I'd take my ball and leave. Why about we just jack you and take your ball and send you on? Coming hard like that. But that I'll take my ball and go home? That's not somebody who's dying to themselves. That's not somebody who's loving other people. The happiest people in the world are the people who are willing to step back and say, that's you. That's you. The most bothersome person on the planet. I'll give you one last sports reference and I'll be out. Every day in the Army, when I was stationed in uh, Red River in Texas, we could do calisthenics before the run or we could play basketball. So I always played basketball. And a lot of the guys I played basketball with were much taller than me, and many of them were former college basketball players and real ballers. Now, Deacon West played a lot of basketball in his life. Coach played a lot of basketball in his life. Y'all can know. If you would rather have somebody with Deacon Henry's basketball talent guarding you than somebody with my basketball talent guarding you, you know why? He's going to just lay back and realize he'll elevate and block your shot at, at the highest point. Me, I'm going to get up on you and be in your pocket the whole time. I'm going to be scratching and clawing and pulling your shorts, fouling you, talking trash in your ear, trying to get under your skin, making up for lack of talent with other stuff. That person gets on everybody's nerves. That person who's always picking and nitpicking and jawing and, and tugging and scratching and clawing, calling every foul. Where, where the real ball player's like, all right, ball out, that's you. Punk, can't play, the deal with this dude. I'm glad he ain't on my team calling all these fouls. Immature people are so high maintenance, baby-like. Don't be a baby in the church. Quit being a snowflake and falling apart after everything happens. Didn't go my way, I want to die. And people viral on YouTube. That, that one girl viral on YouTube. The election wasn't even fully over. They were starting to say that Trump had won. She's screaming into the microphone on 911. Somebody better fix this. Somebody, I'm going to die. Somebody better fix it. I'm thinking, you're going to die? Four years later, he's going to be gone. You're going to live through it. I'm 54 years old. I've lived through a bunch of these dudes. Didn't like most of them. They don't know me. And they don't care about me. Why do you let things wire you up so hard? The proof text of Christianity is loving God and loving people. The proof text of being easily, or uh, proof text of being alive to your emotions and being easily offended is your immaturity as a believer. So which one are you? Are you the I'll take my ball and go home? kind of person or are you the come on man let's just let's just get along and do this everybody's got that one dude in their family we just overlook him because he's special we know what that means but if that's your cousin you love him and you expect people to tolerate him in his specialness, why aren't you willing to tolerate anybody?
Jesus said, you got to be willing to lay your life down for somebody. you got to love people in a real way. I'm not going to have you come forward this morning and do a big invitation again. But I am going to ask you this, to be honest about yourself. Do you get mad at other people because they differ with you? You need to die to that. Do you find it bothersome? See, I admit to y'all, I say a bunch of crazy stuff. A lot of it's in my personality that, I mean, when, when you talk as much as I do, some stuff's going to come out that's like, mm, I probably should have said that a different way. But our premise has been the same from day one. I vow to love you in spite of you. And the only way you're going to be able to love me is in spite of me. The only way you're going to be able to love the people that are in your life. We live in a throwaway generation. Children want to throw away their parents. Parents want to throw away their children. Husbands want to throw away their wives. Wives want to throw away their husbands. People want to quit a job and go to another one. Make it work where you are. Did you hear me? Make it work where you are. It'll work if you get over yourself. It'll work if you don't always have to have the last word. It'll work if you're willing to love somebody the way Jesus loved you. He took all the hard stuff so that we could have all the good stuff. And he says, this is how you got to love other people. And if you won't do that, then don't call yourself a Christian. Because the Bible says the proof of our Christianity is seen in how we love each other. Pray with me. God, thank you for loving us in spite of us. Thank you, God, for caring about us. Thank you for proving your love, setting forth an action that requires a reaction. God, we believe that you sent your son Jesus Christ to the cross of Calvary and died for us and rose again the third day according to the Scripture. We believe that your word is true and accurate and that your commands are to be taken seriously and obeyed. So, God, we pray that you would help us to love each other sacrificially, help us to love each other more than we love ourselves, help us to love each other in spite of our differences, help us to love each other through difficult times and through adversity. Thank you for never giving up on us. Thank you for letting your love be about that action. Help us, God, to put you first and foremost in our life. We pray you be the center of our life and the head of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.